Tulavinaka, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. Coming up, PNG Watchdog says there's much more to do following disgraced lawyer Paul Paraka being jailed. Also, the reasons why they haven't enrolled to vote, they feel like it doesn't change anything. A survey in South Auckland finds out how its residents are feeling in the lead-up to Election Day. And later, the only Pacific team to reach Rugby World Cup quarterfinals are feeling confident, even in the face of personal losses. Transparency International Papua New Guinea says there's still much to do in the wake of the sentencing of disgraced lawyer Paul Paraka on misappropriation charges. Paraka, who had operated his own eponymous law firm, one of the largest in PNG, was convicted of swindling 162 million kina, that's about 46 million US dollars, in government funds between 2007 and 2011. TIPNG's Peter Aitsi told Don Wiseman it's a significant outcome, but not the end of the matter. Correct, Don. There's much work still to be done. Well, the sentencing is an outcome of that lengthy court process, which has now uh, at least delivered some, well, I suppose, some significant sort of outcome with respect to the public's interest in the matter. But as TIPNG has uh, made statements, it now requires the agencies of state to to essentially follow through on many of the uh, of the uh, recommendations and findings that uh, came out of that initial that originating commission of inquiry. Um, so really it's it's for those agencies to ask those questions, okay, where is the money now? Where are those payments that went through this uh, complex structure that was created through Paul Paraka's law firm? And who were the individuals that perhaps were beneficiaries of that money through that network? And then ask them, you know, perhaps ask those questions to those individuals in terms of what the nature of those payments were. So there's much work still to be done. And is there any sign that it's being done? Um, look, there's statements made today about further arrest uh, of a former uh, Secretary for Finance, and so that suggests that there's further work still, uh, there's further uh, action still underway. But from a public's interest, public interest point of view, I mean, we at TIPEG uh, will continue to raise those questions uh, and continue to challenge both our political leaders and also the uh, agencies responsible for implementing these, these findings or investigating these findings until we see some uh, response and some action. On the government side, someone was making decisions there, then surely uh, some heads you would expect within the public service could be expected to roll. You would hope to think so. I mean, in a properly functioning government or properly functioning structure, that would be the case. But unfortunately, a number of our agencies and institutions are unfortunately compromised because of some political influence. And so as we find in our country, in Papua New Guinea, the wheels of justice turn very slowly. And in some instances, they uh, turn the wrong way. And so we see a perverse outcome and, and individuals that you know possibly have been alleged and possibly have sufficient evidence to prosecute them and let uh, to, to go scot-free. Now, Papua New Guinea does now have a, an ICAC, uh, Independent Commission Against Corruption, and the government has announced that it's uh, appointing more commissioners to that ICAC. I'm not so sure about appointing more commissioners. Um, TIPNG was involved in the recruitment panel to appoint the three commissioners. And so there are three commissioners now engaged and, and now on board. There's the chief commissioner and his two deputies, which re- represents the ICAC commission. So they have 
took took office, I think, on the 1st of July, and they are very much in place and now establishing or recruiting to establish the operating structure for ICAC. That's uh, the current situation with respect to ICAC. I think uh, TIPNG has put out statements recently just calling on the government to honour its commitment to ICAC and do so by ensuring the ICAC has sufficient operating budget allocated to it in the 2024 national budget. And so that's for us as the area that we'll be watching is to ensure that they are properly funded so that they can implement fully their responsibilities. And how confident are you that will happen? After our statement, the Prime Minister came out publicly at a press conference and indicated that his government would fully fund the work of ICAC. So we'll watch that space very closely. Papua New Guinea wants to support Huini foreign police officers and leadership roles in the local force. The Prime Minister James Marape told Parliament this is one of the plans to try and improve law and order in the country. A correspondent in PNG, Scott Whitey, told Don Wiseman it's a road the country has been down before with little success. We've already gone through this process with enhanced cooperation agreement when the former government tried to bring in Australian police under the enhanced cooperation agreement. That didn't go down well with uh, a lot of people because they felt that there was a lot of immunity given to Australian police uh, under the arrangement. And I haven't been able to really see the content of the proposed agreement that the internal security minister is talking about. There might be some resistance to it at the political level, but the ENGA governor, Peter Ipatas, has also called for, in, in previous statements, also called for the intervention of foreign police, at least at the command level and strategic uh, advisory level. We do have some AFP officers within the RPNGC who provide advice from time to time. So this may be an increased arrangement that uh, the internal security minister is, is looking at. In a large police force, and also given the myriad range of problems that PNG has from a law and order point of view, yes. could 20 foreign police actually make a difference? It's always been difficult for foreign police coming to Papua New Guinea because previously, and, and, and I draw this parallel from the Enhanced Cooperation Program again, because when we had Australian police here, many within the RPNGC felt that, okay, we, we, we have people placed at the strategic level, advisory level, but the actual work is still done by PNG police. So they a lot of rank-and-file police officers were saying, OK, what's the purpose of having Australian police here if security and safety is going to be a concern for them? So that was the narrative that was being presented at the time. This is its all part of efforts to improve the country's law and order, and it comes uh, alongside measures that will turn some crimes into uh, terrorist crimes and leave people will leave perpetrators of tribal fighting potentially facing 40 years of hard labour. Do you think that would work in terms of ending the tribal fighting that, well, just yeah, never it, seems it, to end? Yeah, it, for, for tribal fights and problems that we're facing now in, in the provinces, that's, that's a problem that is better handled by PNG police. Because having foreign police come in, I mean, this is, this is just strictly my opinion, having police officers, foreign police officers attempt to try to fix the problems at, in the provinces where you have tribal fighting. You know, the lack of context and the understanding will be stuck.
and it, it just won't solve the problem. The, the answer is in better resourcing the police in the provinces, better equipping them and giving them that ability to contain situations, to mediate and to allow for convictions of people who are causing the problems. Uh, and also there, there needs to be interventions at a political level. And while uh, there continues to be some intervention, it's, it's just not enough is being done. In New Zealand, a public survey conducted in South Auckland indicates well over half of its residents feel they're being directly affected by cost of living. A total of 525 people participated in the Mood of South Auckland survey. The predominantly Pacifica area of Auckland has recorded low voter turnouts in the past. The general election currently underway ends on October 14th. Final Funua spoke with one of the organisers of the survey, Sandra Kailahi. This new survey, what does it reveal? Oh, goodness. Um, well, the Mood of South Auckland survey reveals a couple of things around what people in South Auckland are thinking and feeling, particularly around we ask them what to rank in order of priority issues that affect them. And the top three things, which aren't a real surprise, but it was interesting that uh, cost of living was number one followed by uh, health and uh, and also um, then followed by housing and education. So, I mean, not that's not anything new. We do know that through our panel discussions and our box box from the mood of the, uh, you know, on the street videos that we've been doing through South Auckland Votes that those are the issues that really affect them. I think what are some of the interesting things that came out of the survey were around, um, you know, we interviewed 525 people and about 96% said that they were eligible to vote. But out of that 96%, only 86% said that they were actually enrolled to vote. So while they were eligible, some of them weren't really um, taking up the, you know, the call to action to uh, actually um, to get enrolled. About 91% said that they will vote, which is really cool to hear. Um, and then about 64% said that they know which candidate they are going to vote for uh, in Saturday's election. The reasons why they haven't enrolled to vote, doesn't they feel like it doesn't change anything. Um, they said that they do not trust or believe in the system and the politicians do not represent my views. When we ask them about their feeling in the community and their day-to-day lives, 30% said that they were either angry about the present circumstances and, and are or disappointed with the lack of progress. About less than half of those felt that they were surveyed, so about 17% of those surveyed feel hopeful about the future or optimistic about emerging opportunities. 20% said that they were fearful of what might come next or are overwhelmed by the magnitude of issues. Was the question asked about which party they were going to vote for? No, we didn't get into that uh, specifically. We wanted more around the mood of how people were feeling and also their voting behaviours. It was particularly important for the survey and just trying to understand the preferences and voting habits of South Aucklanders because uh, we know that they're not always um, the ones that necessarily go out and vote. But if they did, they could make a difference. Do you think 
those local priorities of those、um, constituencies, the rising living costs and the housing crisis. Do you think they're being voiced enough by the candidates? We have really been focusing on the electorates and voters, and getting a sense of what they, you know, what they're thinking and feeling. So I wouldn't be able to comment on that per se, but I do know that you know、um, those issues are front and centre, particularly in South Auckland, and. I couldn't comment whether the politicians are listening to that, but I do know that、um, you know some of the、uh, the ones that have expressed their、uh, comments to us are looking for a party that will help ease you know some of these pressures. Ninety-two percent of people from the survey said they intend to vote. Yeah. Why do you think people are more willing to vote? Yeah, that's interesting. It's a it's, it's an interesting statistic. I was、um, we were quite surprised to see that、uh, in a way because we thought, given some of the other statistics we've seen in the past and past elections, it hasn't necessarily been that high. But、uh, understanding that you know they have a, over 91 percent will、uh, say that they vote was really、uh, encouraging for us because that was the whole purpose of South Auckland votes is to encourage people to go out and vote. Do you want to make a prediction for the election? <laughs> you know what? I'm just joking. I would if I could, but I think it is so close. I don't even know what it's going to look like. That's why I think it's very interesting. But I, I think you, I believe it's going to be so close. It could go either way. It'll be very interesting if if that happens. If it, if it comes down to a very close race. Yes, and who is the kingmaker? That is the very interesting question. Probably Winston. <laughs> I know. I know. In 2007, Apple announced the very first iPhone. The new seven wonders of the modern world had been revealed, and the party of President Vladimir Putin won Russia's election again. It was also the last time Fiji made the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup. An up and down pool stage in the 2023 tournament has seen them become the only Tier Two nation in the last eight. They've not long beaten their quarter-final opponents, England. Assistant coach Sidamaya Bai says there's confidence in the camp, even in the face of great sadness, with two players in the team having lost loved ones. If they win, they will go further than any Tier Two nation has gone in a World Cup. RNZ Pacific senior sports journalist Elisa Tora is with the Flying Fijians in Marseille, France, and filed this report with the game commentary from Sky Sports. David Valish goes to ground and now it's face to face. The Flying Fijians came through the pool stages with two wins and two losses. A second defeat at the hands of low-ranked Portugal last Monday in Toulouse came as a shock to fans and rugby commentators, with the Pacific Islanders having defeated Australia and very nearly dispatched of Wales in earlier fixtures. But assistant coach and former Flying Fijian Seremayambai says their sights are now firmly set on the quarterfinal, and they have the opportunity to create history. Although he says they are very aware they will be facing a fired-up English side. Yeah, you know,、uh, you can see England now. It's、uh, totally different from the last time we met.、Uh, it all comes down to you know nailing the, the details around the, the, the constant. You know,、uh, big games like that where big players stand up. It's going to be totally different from 
you know, seven weeks ago. Bai says they will have to be on top of their game, improving on key areas identified from their loss to Portugal last weekend. Uh, we, we just need to uh, keep hold on to the ball. I think building phases need to be patient enough. Uh, ball carrying is still on uh, probably high into the contact. If we can get those fundamentals, uh, I think we, we uh, can move the ball probably around better on the field. Uh, that's probably something we, we talked about uh, coming out of the last weekend's game. The Fijians love their rugby and Bai says it means a lot to the country. I think it'll be a one-week holiday in Fiji. No, it'll be crazy. Um, you know, it's, uh, rugby means a lot to for us in Fiji. It just gives us life, keeps everybody happy mm-hmm. and comes alive, comes together keeps the country in unity and through rugby and I think it's, um, you know, whatever the, the result, hopefully will make the, the country proud. Meanwhile, England's number eight, Billy Vunipola, has told World Rugby that flanker Levani Botia will be a tough man to contain. I think the best thing about him is his technique. He is, he's got a very low sense of gravity. Obviously his speed is, I don't think he plays 12 anymore, but as a number 12, who's now in position for seven. He's, he's very fast and I'm making the decision whether to go for the ball or not. And here's the table that still means Fiji will go through to a quarter-final. And former Wallaby David Kempisi has picked the Fijians as winners against England in the quarter-final class. He says that's if they start being Fiji again and remember their rugby DNA and play with the freedom their talents need. Kickoff in Marseille is at 3 a.m. on Monday, Fiji time. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, to Fasui Fua.